becomes like a fleeting memory. Whatever you grab just turns to dust. Like eye contact with a stranger, stranger out of the It's a dream that you to make real. Passing over the songs. Glimmer, glimmer, of the ship being seen. We're back. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, we're recording. Oh, we're recording. Okay, good. Yeah. Hey, well, welcome to the Shores of Ignorance. Yeah. We're, uh, we're still alive and kicking, and uh, besides allergies, uh, I feel great. <laughs> I just live in pollen. Yeah. <laughs> it's everywhere. <laughs> and my dog is made of Velcro, so he just brings... <laughs> buckets of it inside it's driving me absolutely crazy that picture of him last night was quite hilarious with just him covered covered actual pollen uh, i'll have to post it to our instagram <laughs> there you go <laughs> but man i feel excited about the episode tonight i do too yeah i feel like we've been having some good conversations um i've been having some the, the thoughts feel ready to be oh man captured yeah yeah, you and I were talking about uh, uh, soil last night. <clears throat> yeah, we just kind of we just kind of went pretty pretty deep into that. that I'd was love really... to recover some of that. I actually yeah. want to start with something though. Okay, What's uh, that? A, a continuation of our thoughts from last uh, the last episode on character. Oh, cool! I, I had a cool conversation today about it. My my mom called me and said, "Hey, I'm listening to your your last episode on on character and." Mm-hmm. I just keep thinking, I, I wish this was live and I could call in because I have thoughts that I <laughs> want to share. Um, and it got, it just opened up a whole nother WKRP, aspect. WKRP, come in, <laughs> accepting calls right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, which maybe we should actually try to do a live episode sometime and, and allow that. It'd be fun. That'd be interesting, yeah. But, um, but she said uh, that she remembered reading that the Greek basis of the word character means to mark or engrave, to be marked or engraved, um, which is really interesting. And and then she said, and it got me thinking that you're a, um, I've got something weird going on. Uh, got kind of a delay. I'm just going to ignore it. She said, you're a, you're a programmer and you use characters to write your programs and to design applications. And I thought, well, that's interesting because the word character, as we t- kind of talked last week, has is used in all of these different places mm-hmm. in different ways. And even, you know, the the alphanumeric uh, set of characters that define our language that we mm-hmm. use in um, software to design things, we, we call them characters. Yeah. And then I thought, well, what would that mean? And, and what would that mean in terms of having character as we were talking about last week? And it seems that if a character as, as represented on it, like a keyboard, um, mm-hmm. it, it, it stands for something. It means something. It is a symbol of something. And that seems to relate to the idea of being marked or engraved. And so what would it mean to say that a person has character because they, stand for something they have character mm-hmm. because they they mean something they are symbolic of something interesting and then that got me thinking a lot about um this judeo-christian idea that man is made in the image of god mm-hmm. that that is sort of the cornerstone of our western culture that the individual is somehow 
has divine right and divine worth and value. And that value is based on something transcendent in each one of us. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Peterson says, uh, you know, who would you be if you were who you could be? Mm-hmm. And this idea that we all have, and we all feel and know at some level, we have this great pregnant potential within us that to live a good life and to, to grow and mature means to move toward whatever the expression of that potential wit that lies awaited inside of us, whatever so, that expression is. And perhaps I, I lost you. You can't hear me anymore. Yeah. Can you, you hear me? Am yeah. I back? Okay, uh, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so, so to move toward whatever that, the expression of that potential is, is to move towards something that is marked or engraved in us. Hmm. And, and to behave in a way in life, which is addressing that is to stand for something and to mean something. Mm-hmm. It all just came full circle to me and that felt really powerful. Yeah. But also that concept of aiming at something too, like that, that you're, you're right. using some language that, that kind of had that same idea. Yeah. It was kind of a cool, I'm so glad that she told me that because it was, a, it started to pull at all of these different thoughts and ideas and bring them all together, which is always mm-hmm. a good sign that you're, you're on to something meaningful, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. You have that, what is it? Uh, uh, Oh, there's a word for that where things start coming together from different places. Converging? Uh, convergence, yeah, mm-hmm. of, of, of all these different ideas. And that, does, that definitely means that you're, it does, does seem like you're on to something whenever that you have those sort of convergence. Yeah. But it's interesting, like, so in, like, in coding and stuff like that, you use symbols to, to create actions, and those things are engraved mm-hmm. in whatever program that you're, so it's marked by that. And so it always carries out that programming by whatever characters you use. Yeah. Well, and that, that got me thinking of a, something else that's interesting in, in that, you know, there are, a, a computer program runs um, based upon the characters that are typed into a script and what those evaluate to and what they mean within the environment of the, of the programming language. Mm-hmm. And so you, you write a, a program to perform some task and there's no one way or right way to write a program. Oh, interesting. You can write it lots of different ways. I mean, even the expression of how you comp- how you add together the characters into a script to mm-hmm. express the desired result, even that is it's possible for that to be elegant and beautiful. It's also possible for that to be confusing and um ugly to look at even just the script itself and Hmm. prone to bugs. Oh man. So the way that you take these small bits of meaning, combine them into larger bits of greater meaning towards an aimed at task. There's even character expressed in that. Okay. So, uh, so me not understanding those things as well. I I understand the, uh, the concept of what you're talking about. So let me see if this, it's, it's kind of more of a question, but let me kind of f- more state it into what I understand you're saying. Um, so let's say, let's say you, there is a certain way, there's multiple ways to express this, uh, this language, and there's quite a few different beautiful ways or ways that work really well. Mm-hmm. But then there's also these ugly and inefficient ways also. Yeah. <clears throat> 
So within that system, there's also almost, there's an objective reality that exists, although there's a subjective experience of that in the way that you express that. Does that make sense? Objective reality meaning what? <clears throat> well, so, because when, obviously, when, when you say like, uh, there's an ugly way to do it or an mm-hmm. inefficient way to do it or mm-hmm. a way that just doesn't work. So it makes me believe that there's some sort of defining objective parameters subjectively, which you can express in multiple ways, but it still has to fit within a certain construct. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it, it's really no different than the language of English. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, programming, you use languages and they're different languages than the one we, the ones that we speak and yep. they're languages that a computer can understand. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if we kind of map the analogy to the English language, if the objective is to tell you a story, perhaps, mm-hmm. um, and the objective of a computer program is to accomplish some task. Um, but it, but if I tell you a story, that's my objective. And there's lots of ways that I could go about telling you that story. There's, mm-hmm. and, and the, the measured success of whether or not I told you the story would be, did you understand the story? Well, mm. you know, what does that mean exactly? Yeah. You know, if I, I, if I can tell it in different ways, then you might know different parts of the story or, or understand them differently, but you'll, you'll ultimately get the story, even if I tell it badly mm-hmm. and in a computer program, even if I write the code badly, I can also, I can write the code badly and still accomplish the stated task. Mm. Um, did I accomplish it? Well, maybe did I accomplish it in a way that's going to last over time and, and hold up as other parts of that application are developed out? Probably not. And it's going to be prone mm-hmm. to bugs and errors because, um, because the code that I wrote was not robust and was not efficient and not elegant. Damn. Like you're just like, you're hitting that one part that we were talking about this weekend, the young idea of neuroses, mm. you know, at the same, the similar, a similar idea of like, um, like, you know, it's like you have this sort of, uh, neurosis, which is sort of a self cure aspect to, uh, what is it? Um, um, it kind of like signals us to change our way of life. Uh, so if like you are, if you're interacting in the world in a way that is, uh, ineffective or, um, somehow, Contrary to, um, oh shoot, I don't, I don't know the right, right, right words to use, but almost like contrary to reality, you know, if you, like if you're not treating your wife well or your kids mm-hmm. well or your friends well, it's like you're going to have these things, these feedbacks that are going to cause you to have to re-examine, uh, re-examine your life and and make changes. And if you don't, then it can lead to these neuroses where you uh, get further detached from reality. Hmm. And it seems like there's a certain idea of like even with encoding, like there's a certain parameters that you have. You can tell a story badly and still it still functions, yeah. but just doesn't function very well. Right. And it seems like that's similar to um, Jung's yeah. neuroses kind of idea. I want to come back to the neuroses thing. I, I, mm-hmm. 
it can function, but not very well, and then cause problems in other parts of the application. And then if it's not written well, the, the, the other crazy thing about it is that if you go look at that poorly written code and it's hard to understand how it was written, what the point was, even what the objective it was trying to accomplish was, it can be really hard to fix the bugs that come up in an application because oh, the code awesome. because the code is difficult to read. It's difficult to understand and follow the lines of logic, mm-hmm. um, and and it can be really difficult to debug poorly written code. Which I, and th- that comes back to the neuroses thing. I think mm-hmm. is that the idea of neuroses is is that they they are pathologies that are put in place in order to ignore other things. Mm. And so to go look at them, it's really difficult to understand where they come from or Mm. how to untie them or how to get Mm. rid of them because it's, it's sort of difficult to read the code Yeah, because they are about things ignored. You've got to figure out first, like what were the things that were ignored and then what was ignored? Mm-hmm. The neurosis was in place to protect you from that, from having to deal with it. And now you have to deal yeah. with it. Well, what is it? Part of that was covered up and lost and you've got to recover it. God, it's so, it's so wild. Like it's like, you can't, at some point you're going to have to deal with it. Mm-hmm. You know, even in code, it, like it might be functional, but at some point you're going to have to, you're going to have to deal with the inefficiencies or the, um, or the bad coding of it. Totally. In yeah. uh, application development, that's referred to as technical debt. Oh, interesting. Oh, you were explaining that to me. But could you explain that on this? I, I, I thought that was really fascinating. Yeah, so there's times when you are developing an application and, and you sort of are for, forced to write what you know is bad code. And you, and you do it because maybe, well, maybe the the stated intention of the application is not fully understood yet. Mm-hmm. So we only understand part of what the application is supposed to be doing at the, at the level of what this code I'm writing is dealing with. Mm-hmm. And so I sort of, I, I can't really write good code because I don't fully understand the objective, yeah. but I understand it enough where I can get some work done, which is beneficial. So I write the code and in my mind, I know that ultimately this is going to be bad code. Hmm. Ultimately it's going to have to be addressed. And that is that it, as you are trying to plan out resources and timelines and launch dates of applications, um, you have to be cognizant of that stuff because, Mm -hmm. and and basically make note of it and say, Hey, this is going to become a problem if we don't revisit it Mm -hmm. because it's easy once you move on and start working on other parts of the application to sort of forget about that. So you tag that as technical debt, which means we're sort of taking a loan out against the um, against the what we know is going to end up manifesting as bugs that we're going to have to spend time on later, mm-hmm. and we're going to have to pay back that debt. We're going to have to do mm-hmm. the work, and so when are we going to do that? We need to earmark it as an outstanding debt that we're going to either have to come to um, purposefully and say, hey, we need to deal with this stuff while we have time, or <laughs> not be surprised when we launch the application and all of a sudden this one feature just crashes and doesn't work. It's like, oh yeah, the technical debt. We didn't, we didn't, we never went back and paid that. Golly, that just like maps on the reality so well. It's yeah. sort of like, you know, you're going through life 
it's like you don't have time to to analyze and to move forward in a way that's perfect code because if you did that you would not go anywhere like you would never you wouldn't develop anything mm-hmm. if you're always you just get stuck into this perfectionist mode totally and you would never really do anything and so in life it's like you have you kind of have to move forward but you know at some point you need to kind of have a time of reflection and and pay kind of like catch up on that technical debt i mean even like i can i can just as you were saying i was going back through the different business stuff that i've done and it's like i push forward and go forward but at some point i have to kind of like come back and shore up all the different areas that we kind of had to push through in order to get somewhere right and it was somewhere we didn't know where we were going but once we got there then we had a lot more perspective on what we needed to Mm -hmm. go back and sort of shore up or fix you know yeah and that's a time to take stock of the of the the things that you pushed through and Mm -hmm. maybe sort of left half done or half defined or or systems that you set up that you knew were shaky and were going to fail eventually but it was the only option you had at the time in order to keep moving towards what you were doing but now that you're there and the objective has been fully defined Mm -hmm. it's time to go back and yeah, I like that sort of shore up the areas that we were able to skate by, but we know mm-hmm. that they're not going to sustain us, especially through yeah. some, you know, future storm. Well, it makes so much sense even right now. Like I can see like, you know, Alice and I both are just so many different things and also just with our staff in general, but just specifically with Alice and I, it's like we're in crisis mode trying to work through all these different scenarios and situations. I'm working later, working mm-hmm. a lot more. Uh, she's having to do homeschool. She's also got her businesses that she's doing. Yeah. And, you know, it's like, so we do have a lot of technical debt that we're kind of building up right now. Mm-hmm. And it's like, at some point, we're going to need to have a, have a moment where, you know, I mean, we, you can, I think you can do that incrementally along the way, but it's, it's, it can also be detrimental to do too much in the moment, you yeah, know? Yeah. And it's a hard balance and I don't, I, I can't, I can't really speak to what the balance is in that space, but it does seem like there's a point like we're going to need to do some technical debt, <laughs> you know? <laughs> right. Right. You know, it's like, it's like, Oh, Hey, Hey, what's your name again? Allison. Oh, Hey, I remember <laughs> you, you know, it's like, <laughs> Oh, my yeah. daughter, Elia, Austin. Oh, hey, guys. <laughs> Pay back that debt of relationships. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it, well, and even even in uh, your sort of self-relationship, I don't know if that's a term people use, but it seems yeah. like in times of crisis, you, you understandably and necessarily let up on some of the things that you might normally do for yourself mm-hmm. and stop doing them. And yeah. you can sustain through that, totally. but not forever. And if you mm-hmm. don't, take the time to go back and say, okay, it's time, it's time to start reincorporating some, you know, like letting myself sleep longer or reincorporating, um, things that I know keep me healthy, like swimming or exercise or whatever they are that I didn't do because other things were much more important for that short period of time. Totally. I'm, I'm there. (laughs) Yeah. Right. I'm totally there. Um, but it makes sense. But also thinking like other people this time right now actually might be their technical debt. Mm. you know, time, you know, that there it's, it's actually, so it's a different season for different people in that way. Like this is a time for them to reflect and. Yeah. So here's a, here's a a word for you. So when you have technical debt, 
mm-hmm. you need to do some refactoring. 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 Mm-hmm. It basically means go back and, and take a look at what you did poorly and redo it better. Mm. You need to refactor the code. You need to accomplish oh. the same thing via a better way. Oh, wow. So it's, a, so it's a refactoring time. Yeah. So are you going to write a book called uh, Zen and the Art of... Uh, refactoring? Uh, refactoring <laughs> or, or coding or something like that? <laughs> no, I don't know. <laughs> If I, I ever I end up it. writing a book, I don't think it's going to be about coding. No, <laughs> I don't think so either. Um, but it does sound very Zen motorcycle-ish, though. Well, <clears throat> it is a really great analogy, and I think it's. It, I'm I'm seeing a segue into the 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 soil conversation that we had. Oh, bring it! But I don't. Don't want to do it preemptively. No, well, I and I don't know that I exactly have words for it, but I really do want to try to recover some of that conversation because it really was powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, so, a couple of quotes uh, that have come up in our conversations. One was from a podcast a while back that uh, we had said you got to be honest about the things that are going to bring the ship down, mm. the small ignored things, and and this is exactly what we're talking about right now. Mm-hmm. It's like you can ignore the small leak for a while because you're mm-hmm. in a storm and it's much more important that you keep from capsizing. Yeah. But that small leak will eventually also take you down. So you got to get mm-hmm. to it. Um, and I had, we were talking last night and I don't remember what part of the conversation this came up, but I had just made a note to myself, this idea, this, this little phrase that had popped into my head, which was that uh, it's not your job to do the growing. It's your job to create. Oops, I lost you. Oh, again. You're frozen. You back? Back, yeah. Okay, perfect. <laughs> so this, uh, <laughs> you should be. It's your fault. I <laughs> know. Um, so this this phrase that had come into my head, it, it's not your job to do the growing. It's your job to prepare, to create the fertile soil and keep the weeds out of it. Hmm. And that's that's kind of a refactoring idea that I need to tend to the thing that's actually making this grow. And Mm -hmm. we're not really defining a a this. I mean, I think when I wrote that down, I was thinking about myself and things that I wanted to grow into. And I think there's a tendency to want to, when you have an idea, an aim, Mm-hmm. You want to push towards that. And when it requires growth, you want to sort of force yourself to grow, but you kind of can't like mm-hmm. growth is something that has to, you can't make a plant grow. It mm-hmm. has to do its own growing, but you can affect its environment. And I think the same is kind of true of yourself. It's like I can affect my environment and prepare the area to be ready for the growth, but the yeah. growth itself is something that has to happen somehow I don't like supernaturally, honestly, in, in mm-hmm. some, in some sense. Yeah. There's a, we're talking about too, like a, so Lex Fieldman has a podcast slash video or YouTube channel and he, Friedman, and, uh, Friedman, Friedman. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Lex Friedman. Uh, fantastic. He's got so many great things. Just, Oh shoot. What was the guy's name? Such an interesting Coleman? guy too. Phil Coleman. Oh, I've just blanked on him. Oh. It's not ringing any bells for me, but I will say that I love this Lex Friedman guy because he's like a Russian that 
lives in Boston and a, uh-huh. and a Boston Russian is just about the weirdest combination of <laughs> attributes <laughs> totally. in a person that I've ever experienced. I don't think I've ever <laughs> uh, ran into an individual like this. I love the way he talks. Oh, Stephen Wolfram. That's what it oh, was. Oh, Wolfram, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Stephen Wolfram. He was interviewing him and uh, he was just talking about like how, you know, all these people have these sort of like genius intuitions that happen and it really is almost like magic mm. or like you said, supernatural. Yeah. Uh, however, there's something that is common with a lot of these sort of genius intuitions is that the soil has been prepared for the idea. Right. So it's sort of like, you know, maybe in rare occasions, there might be a lot of things that kind of drop into place at one time. But most of the time you have somebody who has been spending time and effort and um, uh, resources to tending a soil that they did not know what fruit would come from it. Yeah. And uh, so it just, it just, it, again, that's, I think it's whenever you and I started thinking about also whenever uh, uh, Jesus talks about the parable of the sower, you know, there's the the seed that falls along the path, and then the rocky ground, and um, and then the good soil, and how you know depending on what the soil type is, is how those ideas grow. Mm-hmm. Um, and well, and the yeah. and the idea is that the seed that pa- falls upon the rocky path will grow, but will not last. Mm-hmm. Whereas the seed that falls into the good soil grows and prospers and reproduces. Mm-hmm. and grows more yeah especially when the rocky path was like the idea too behind that one was the the worries of the world and the dis- deceitfulness of riches you know so it's almost like uh and it reminded me of when joe rogan was talking about uh he was on that uh, it's called notebooks you and i talked about last night but, yeah uh and and he was talking about one of his i forgot the uh comic's name but he was saying like yeah, the comic was, he's, he was brilliant. Like he was probably one of the best comics in the eighties. And however, he got carried away with drugs and partying and just everything just sort of fell apart, you know, and there's something about that soil not being deep enough to really sustain that sort of creativity. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, the, uh, I read this book a number of years ago that really affected me deeply called the war of art. Hmm. And essentially, so he's a writer. He wrote, um, I think he wrote screenplays. The guy who wrote this book, I'm blanking on his name now. Uh, I don't have it in here. Um, but he just talks about, you know, the sort of the difficulty of dealing with creativity or, or being creative or being productively creative. So if you are a writer and you want to write, well, writing is considered creative. And, you know, we also sort of generally understand that creativity is, is not like sort of solely the um, is not solely owned by the person who's creative. Like mm-hmm. ideas just sort of come out of nowhere and mm-hmm. they come in and to a creative person's mind or a person who's attempting to be creative and they sort of start having a relationship with these ideas and something is produced out of it. Um, there, there's a great Ted talk uh, by Elizabeth Gilbert, the woman who wrote Eat, Pray, Love. Uh, it's one of the most popular TED Talks, and it's one of my favorite uh, mm. 
bits of content on the internet. Honestly, I can watch it. Um, I watch it quite frequently, at least a couple of times a year. And it often brings me to tears, but she talks about how the idea that someone is a genius is a very modern idea that, Mm. you know, uh, that Wolfram is a genius or, um, you know, Elon Musk or Elon Musk mm-hmm. or um, who, who was I thinking of? I'm, I'm blanking on the, the guy's name. Radiohead lead singer. Um, oh yeah. But when that word um, arose, it, people weren't geniuses. They had a genius. Mm. And the idea was that literally the creative person had a sort of like a gnomish spirit that lived in the walls of their studio and sort of came out and helped them with their work. And please go listen to her TED talk because the way she tells the story is great. Um, (laughs) But she makes the point that that's kind of a great idea because, you know, if your work is great, well, you kind of can't take too much credit for it. You don't get to like be all egotistical because it's not you know, it's not all because of you, you know, you had help and if your work totally bombs and sucks, well, it's also kind of not all your fault. (laughs) Um, so, so back to this war of art guy, his idea that he, or his suggestion was basically like, if you want to write, then your one job is to sit down at your typewriter or your computer or your journal or whatever it is Mm -hmm. every day like it's your job. Mm-hmm. And that's about it. It's about all you can do because mm-hmm. you've got to wait for inspiration and you've mm-hmm. got to wait for creativity. And that might mean sitting down and not even type, touching the keyboard, or it might mean sitting down and just writing whatever comes to your head and then throwing mm-hmm. it away because it's crap. But mm-hmm. your job is to show up, show up to work. Like yeah. that's your half. And there's another half that you're not quite responsible for that we don't exactly know how to talk about that ends up seeming very spiritual and mystic. And in our current culture, we don't know how to talk about those things very well. Um, but I love that because I think it is the idea of creating that soil that, so mm. when an idea comes, there is some place for it to flourish. Yeah. You know, and like an idea can come to an inexperienced writer and they can write the idea, but it's sort of back to this idea of bad coding. Yeah. Um, is that, is that idea going to be fully expressed and creatively expressed in the way that it could? Well, probably not. Mm-hmm. They're inexperienced. Maybe they haven't read all that much, but, a, a, but an experienced writer who's been spending his downtime or creative mind block time, just like devouring books, that idea comes to him and suddenly he has the, the arsenal of vocabulary and expression and mm-hmm. to, to really fully encounter and express that idea. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I mean, it just it just makes so much sense. Also, you would, I remember last night you talked about like um, the one hit wonder too. Mm. That was like right. That that somewhat of a an example of you know sometimes there's an accident of brilliancy, but there's not a depth of soil. It's almost like again the uh, this, the 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 seed that falls on the soil and, and goes up real quickly, but has no root. So it just dies, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so there is that aspect. Yeah. There's this, uh, sort of truthy understood truthy, uh, <clears throat> idea that 
anytime someone makes it big, it, it almost seems, it always seems like they come out of nowhere. You know, you hear this new mm. song or this record that's just brilliant. It's so good. And you're like, who is this person? This brand new person came out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. It's almost always true that that person has been working their ass off for 10 years. Yeah. They came out of nowhere cause you're just now aware of them and mm-hmm. the world is just now aware of them, but they have been in their room writing and writing and singing and practicing and doing what they've been doing. And it's taken them this long to make something yeah. brilliant like this. Mm-hmm. And there's clearly exceptions. There's, and this is that, that's the one hit wonder thing. You know, somebody mm-hmm. sort of accidentally writes a great song, but mm-hmm. then they almost always can't follow it up because they haven't done yeah. the work to be able to, um, to be able to follow it up, to be able yeah. to sort of be creative again. Cause you can get accident. You can get, lucky accidentally Mm -hmm. you know once maybe even twice yeah um you know just like this special inspiration hits a person who's not ready for it and they just happen to like you know come out the other side with this great thing um but then ask that person you know the the classic in in the music industry is the soft the sophomore record the second record is the one that defines an artist because Mm. can they do it again yeah I know we brought this up quite a few times on the podcast, but it always reminds me of Joe Rogan where he talks about, you know, what it goes into putting together a 60 minute special. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just grind, 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 grind. Yeah. And then boom, amazing. Right. And just, I think there's just so much, there's so much work in tilling that soil. I love that. Something that's really beautiful. I think that's something comedians have like unique access mm. to this idea that to put together a special, it's not like you just think up the special and then go do it. Yeah. You, you think up hours and hours of content and then you slowly go introduce that to people in short (laughs) sets and see what works Uh and what doesn't. And then you refactor what doesn't work and you try it again and it doesn't work again. And yeah, different tone, different intonation. Yeah. And, and then finally it's like that 60 minute special is like what came through the fire of two years Mm. of whittling down every funny thing that you could think of. Mm-hmm. And of course it's going to be great. And yeah. I don't, I don't think like musicians don't exactly do that. And I don't, you know, uh, I can't think of any other industry that does that. Yeah. That's really unique to comedy. I love that. Maybe that's one of the reasons I'm kind of like, I have a secret dream of trying stand up comedy. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> we talk about that. Well, I, I think because, like, again, uh, listen to Joe Rogan and a few of the other comics. Like, I mean, because it's it really is that story is it's it's repetitive. You know, Jim Gaffigan, uh, uh, Chris D'Elia. You know, it's like all of those comics do that. You know, uh, oh shoot, what's his name? Oh, I love that guy. Oh, anyways, but you just, you know, that is like, that, I, that is a common thing among all of them, mm-hmm. um, that they, they have that sort of refining aspect to their craft, you know? Right, right. Um, which man, I, I think that gets me so jazzed. Like, mm-hmm. like if I think about that in my life, if I take everything that I, that I know is good mm-hmm. and then everything that I think might be good, but I don't know cause mm-hmm. I haven't tried it. Mm-hmm. And the things that I think might be bad, but I don't know if they're bad because I haven't tried it. What if I went and tried all of it? <laughs> yeah. You know, like go and find out mm-hmm. and then go test the stuff that you feel like, you know, is good and see if it really is. Totally. 
And that's what these guys are doing for a living. (laughs) (laughs) That's so Uh, cool. It is really cool. It is really cool. I'm trying to think of like how this applies business wise. You know, I think there's, you know, I, I do see every time I open up a new store, it's like you come with all these ideas, you learn from the old, like the store before, and then you, you activate these new ideas and then you see what works and what doesn't. And then the mm-hmm. next store benefits from those ideas. And at some point you get to this place where you start seeing trade-offs. So it's not necessarily what works and what doesn't work, but if I do this, then I'm trading this for that. Yeah. And it's like, and so you start seeing more of the intricacies. And so as I'm visualizing like Joe Rogan doing this, it's sort of like, okay, I'm trading this for that. You know, it's like, so it's like this fine crafting, this space right here. I, I want to, I'm going to sacrifice this for, um, you know, ice machine over here in order to accomplish this or, or visually or whatever it might be. Right. But you're doing it with more intention, which then is communicated even more so because it's intentional and the depth is there. So, um, uh, I mean, I don't know if I directly, I, 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 I honestly, like what I'm thinking about, just like, man, there's, there's probably so many more things that could apply here. Like you were talking about with music, like how many things that do I have in my head that I haven't really even tried? You yeah. Know? Yeah. Like, it's like definitely want to do that. <laughs> I feel like that's one of those things too, that this, this is this. Uh, so these words are starting to become interchangeable in my mind of like neuroses and technical debt and like, <laughs> um, uh-huh. but I, th- I, I often make a mental note to myself that it's dangerous that I'm leaving things that I wanted to do undone. Ooh. And I really think it is dangerous. Yeah. And there's so many reasons to leave things undone. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you might think they're stupid or they might embarrass you or, or it might expose you to failure and vulnerability. Um, or maybe you don't have time and you don't value them all that much. But I feel like when it's, when something, you know, some idea comes into your head and you're, and something in you and your ego says, mm-hmm. um, I should do that. That seems important to do. Yeah. You should do that thing. And if you don't, <laughs> it's going to come back and bite you somehow. And I'm not mm-hmm. sure exactly how, but I think I've got a couple of those things floating around right now that I need to attend to. All right. So here's a, here's a quote for you. I got, okay. my, I got my board right now. Um, it's the same idea of neuroses, uh, but kind of more framed in the idea of fate back in the time of more of Greek gods and stuff like that. But I'm going to get the guy's name wrong, but Clothinus. Clayfinus? I don't know. It says, uh, fate leads the willing, but drags the unwilling. Hmm. So sort of this idea of like, you know, whether you want to or not, you're going to end up having to deal with your technical debt. Hmm. So yeah. if you're willing and you're willing to face that technical debt or that neurosis, it's like, you know, you can do that willingly or <laughs> you're going to do it unwillingly with fixing a bunch of bugs and just always kept trying to catch up. You it know? just sounds like so many of the things that I've said to my kids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's always- you're doing this willingly or unwillingly. Oh, well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like, you are taking a bath. <laughs> 
you are going ex- to school. <laughs> your experience of this is either going to be really great uh-huh. or <laughs> really horrible. Your choice. Well, you can do this the easy way or the hard way. I mean, uh-huh. that really, these things which are like the easy way or the hard way, it's like, it's a cliche, but it seems so fundamentally true. Mm-hmm. Um, that, uh, I, I just, I feel, um, embarrassed that I keep quoting Jordan Peterson, <laughs> but he's having such an effect on me right now. And I'm like uh-huh. way immersed into his, uh, biblical lectures series. And they're, they're so long and so packed full of <clears throat> so many great thoughts. But <clears throat> one of the things he says is that in his experience as a clinical psychologist, no one gets away with anything ever. Like you don't get away with bending the fabric of reality which is another way of saying to, of telling a lie or another way of saying ignoring a truth mm-hmm. or ignoring the voice that says you should do this or you should change yeah. this. No one gets away with it. That debt will have to be paid. It will have to be paid and yeah. everybody will pay it. And maybe there's even like a larger archetypal sketch there, which is that mm-hmm. everyone, everyone pays it maybe even ultimately in our own death mm-hmm. or in what comes after that. Mm-hmm. Oh man, that's fascinating. That's really good. Well, I mean, you just think about the, you know, the, the debt that you, that you build up by not dealing with certain things. Yeah. It's, you know, a lie or a deception or, uh, you know, uh, even like it was even small things too, like, like, Oh dude, I kind of, I didn't really do that well, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I, and I, I, you come to that realization and you're just kind of, you know, frustrated with yourself. And there's some things you can kind of like correct without having to address it directly. I think most things are that way, but there's some things you cannot correct without addressing it directly you know like the fine-tune adjustments versus like like you have a if you have a huge course correction like Mm. you're actually going in the wrong direction yeah it's like that takes a lot more of a it's it's kind of a it's sort of a bigger debt to pay it's like totally it's like but if you're like like if i get if i get mad at allison or something like that i'm like ah and i'm like oh man i'm sorry it's like but if i have a history of that and it becomes a bigger debt, you know, that's, that, that's a lot more to, <laughs> right. to make up, you know? And we all know that experience when, when you finally start admitting to a pattern, but you only mm. admit to the one instance of it. And then the, uh, the person uh, that you're in relationship with is like, and then this time and this time and this time and this time and this time. And you're like, not ready. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> and that can actually cause you to retreat and to start denying it again. Mm-hmm. because you weren't, you know, you weren't prepared to deal with that big of a problem. You were prepared to deal with a small problem. Yeah. Or lash out and say, well, you did this, this, you know, and then yeah. it becomes more of like a tit for tat rather than being like owning up to your own, right. Your own part of that problem, even mm-hmm. though there, it might be more, it usually is more dynamic and multi-layered, but mm-hmm. you're responsible for your part. And that's the, yeah, and usually when there is when it when it takes a, a large correction, how did you state it a moment ago that sometimes you, correction? Yeah, sometimes oh. you can uh, 
you can sort of deal with it in a small way and that's good enough. But other times the, the image that came to my mind was it has to be torn down and rebuilt, rebuilt. And that's Mm -hmm. a, that can, in is often, uh, a traumatic experience because Mm -hmm. it requires a death of a certain kind. Mm -hmm. You have to like let a structure die and burn down in order to rebuild it the way that it should have been, Mm -hmm. the way that it needs to be for you to move forward. Mm-hmm. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So so much just ripe imagery floating around that uh mm-hmm. Well it comes back to like we need metaphor, we need narrative to explore oh, the yeah. unknown. It's like we can't when we're grasping towards something or at something, it's like we need the narrative and metaphor of soil of fate of being dragged slaying the dragon it's like it helps us to better work through and not be so mechanical about it you know Hmm. um even more than that i mean if there was some way to describe these things more mechanically or objectively or it's like tempting to use the word like exactly I don't think that we would engage with them at all. I don't think that we would even understand what someone was talking about. There's a great, um, I don't know who made this point, but uh, it it came from Ian McGilchrist's The Master and His Emissary. He made the point that language itself is all metaphorical of an embodied experience. Every word in every language has to ultimately be broken down and understood by a tangible, bodied, embodied experience. Mm-hmm. Because there is no other way for us to understand things. So, ultimately, all of language is metaphorical. So, would you say, like, I mean, so uh, comparing it to computer programming, uh, you know, when you're talking about paying your technical debt. Is there is that is that more is there is that more mechanical or is there a is that also fit into the narrative story symbolic realm? I mean, does tech- that make sense? Maybe I'm so, not sure how to follow okay, it. Okay, well, where I'm kind of going with this is you know so there is some views that we are just basically hardware playing software you know mm-hmm. and so you know we have the hardware there for playing bad software then we just need to correct the software and so it is actually more of a technical thing uh, mm-hmm. in some instances technical you, rather than mechanical mm-hmm. yeah so so like in some instances like you can do you know certain surgeries that you know you know split brain surgeries and stuff like that that fix some some parts of of how you um are remove stuff or, you know, whatever it might be to kind of right. fix certain things. And so that could almost see, that could almost come across as more of a mechanical aspect. But I, I guess I'm just trying to, well, I think the I, point, the, the point that I'm making is that I don't think that you can separate the two. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, I don't know how to back this up, but I've been starting to be introduced to this idea that you can't even have consciousness without it being embodied. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work. It's not, there is, there is not a separable line between consciousness and the body. 
mm-hmm. um, even though we generally consider consciousness as being located in the brain, which seems somehow separated. Mm-hmm. Um, but our understanding of language itself is rooted in how we interact bodily with the world. Mm-hmm. And every word, if you take its if you take its meaning all the way down to the root of the word and the origin of the word is something which can be related to bodily. Mm -hmm. I haven't run an experiment on that, but I thought it was a fascinating point and it, it, it seems to hold pretty true as I think about it. I think that's something that you and I have been kind of toying with in our own conversations is the difference between like AI and computability, computability, yeah. Computability you know, and how, you know, is, can AI actually resemble humans? And it's not just even in resembling it, it's to become human uh, mm-hmm. in some instances. And, and again, you know, I've just been playing with these ideas, so we probably, I don't know if we can really go, go to, we're listening to a lot of people that are talking about these things, but I don't think we really have like a, uh, but that's been really fascinating yeah. to me to kind of, to to think about and i think that's something that you and i are kind of just exploring on our on our own yeah i certainly am in no place to speak on that definitively (laughs) but my my uh my bet is that that a computer program will never become human Mm -hmm. it will have just doing it will have just doing more complex computation yeah computations is not human as far as like you know uh, uh, oh shoot! Yeah, we, well, yeah. What's up? We probably should drop this one. But if Sir well, Roger Penrose is really amazing in this area, like uh, Lex Lex Friedman has a great conversation with him in this. I think yeah, I'd, I'd highly recommend checking that out. I'd highly mm-hmm. check. I would highly recommend checking that out. Um, but maybe I'll try to just because I think it's so fascinating okay. lay out part of the problem, okay. which is that. You can know that something is true by running it through a series of tests. And you can design those tests to test certain parts of it. And if all the tests pass, then you can say the thing is true. And so that's what a computer is doing. Um, But who determines the validity of the tests? Mm. And who looks at it and un- and understands anything from it and who does it mean something to yeah there is a separation and this is the non-computability problem that robert Penrose lays out really well in that podcast th- that consciousness <coughs> is non-computable because mm-hmm. it is outside of any tests that can be run on it mm-hmm. it has the ability to look to be outside to look at something to understand it for it to have meaning mm-hmm. and to intelligently uh, deal with that. Mm-hmm. And that is not a computable process. It's not a process that yeah. we have any idea of what's going on with it. Mm-hmm. And that that's a great mystery. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. And I love, I love listening to, I love listening about, about it from people that are really diving into, I mean, Wolfram also is looking at that and, uh, Eric Weinstein and Lex Friedman also have a great conversation in that, uh, but Penrose has been really 
out there on the circuit kind of talking before all this COVID thing. Um, yeah, he's got that new book. What is it? The Emperor's New Mind, I think it is. Maybe it's not a new one. I think it that's not new. One. Yeah, it was in the 90s, yeah. I think. Yeah, that's brilliant. It's really good. Um, <laughs> except for like I was telling you, don't listen to it on, <laughs> on. Well, do listen if you want to listen to it on, but there's a lot of zero zero one zero zero one zero zero one. If you listen to an audible, <laughs> it's hilarious. Yeah, yeah. That's funny. I just got powered through it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, something I really like about him is he's clearly hyper-intelligent, extremely learned, and is in his older age. But he's able to talk about incredibly complex concepts and mm. concepts that I've never even been introduced to in ways yeah. that are very accessible and almost playful. Like he mm. He tells stories in a way that's not insufficient in any way. Yeah. but it's playful and accessible in the, in the way that a children's story is. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I really, really enjoy listening to him talk. I'm kind of curious. Uh, I kind of want to know what we want to tie some things back to. Like, do we want to tie something back to character or back to kind of more to the, maybe I, th- I think I'd like to go here with more with, the, the ideas around preparing the soil. I feel like that's an area that you and I were really interested in last night. Right. Do you have any thoughts about like, what it means to prepare the soil? Am I jumping too fast? No, no. I think I do. Um, I think I'm trying to decide if we should lay some out and leave it because we're at about our hour mark. Oh, damn. Wow. Um, it's really fun. By <laughs> I know. Um, <laughs> I kind of feel like our next conversation should be about that because I think there's a lot yeah. we can say about what that means and what that takes. Um, we even sort of referenced our conversation in the previous podcast about being on time and how mm-hmm. that applies to this, uh, this, this metaphor of preparing the soil. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think my preference would be let's pick that back up. Okay. Yeah, I like that. I like that. I think there's a lot of fun thoughts around that idea of soil and and preparation. Uh, yeah, that's cool. Well, and also something that something else that might be worth uh, touching on is that I feel like people, a lot of people, have an aversion aversion to religious imagery. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I even have sense, it in me. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um even though I don't consider myself particularly averse. Oh, wow. That was a lie. (laughs) I'm, I'm even, I I am averse to religious imagery. Um, and I, I feel like we're at AA meeting. I know, I know, (laughs) but we should talk about that because that is an interesting thing because that it's a metaphor, a powerful metaphor that is a religious metaphor because it's been around forever. And yeah. the fact that it's been around forever means that it's probably worth looking at and mm-hmm. is probably one of the most powerful metaphors. And the fact that I would be turned off by it because it has the word religious attached to it is mm-hmm. I'm doing myself a massive disservice, I think. Yeah. And I'll just apply it to myself. Mm-hmm. So maybe we could discuss that. Yeah. 
No, I get you. I find that I'm. I think I. I definitely agree with. I, yeah, yeah. I think let's let's talk. Let's tackle that one next. That, okay. There's there's a lot of good stuff in that. Okay. In that cool. Space. <laughs> <laughs> but but as far as like uh, I don't know what we want to kind of leave everyone with. I, I think uh, um, we're super excited about things. I think uh, there's a lot of uncertainty kind of in in the, in the coming weeks, we're kind of coming out of in Texas anyways, mm-hmm. uh, uh, out of, uh, lockdown, uh, and what that means, nobody really knows. And, um, but, uh, uh, yeah, we just, uh, want to encourage all you guys to just keep, uh, just kind of plugging away and, and be open to whatever you need to learn right now in this season. Um, I think that's a, I think that's a, that's a huge thing. But yeah, just stand on those shores of ignorance. I like, I like what you said. Be open to learning <laughs> what you need to learn. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a lot more difficult than you might think. It is. It's like, that was that was the one thing. It, it's like you don't know what you don't know until you know. And it's such a ri- <laughs> ridiculous statement, but it's just so true. And it's if we're not open to exploring and mm-hmm. and and looking in the mirror even though we see like sort of the idea of like half halfway, it's, it's still, we need to look intently into that mirror and, and, and this to encounter whatever it is that we need to encounter. And that's easier said than done. So I do that. That's understandable. Yeah. But. Cool. Well, man. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for, for following along. This has been the shores of ignorance. If we haven't said that. Yeah, it is. And, you know, soon we'll have like call in or, or typing text things or something. <laughs> That'd be fun. I love or that. Zoom. We talked about a zoom thing. I love know, like that a, idea, but I don't, I don't know. It would be so hard to like stay in the flow state if I'm like trying to text, check text messages uh, at the same true, time. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. But I don't know. Other people do it. So I'm sure we could. Yeah. We could probably maybe have Allison on and she could like, she could like ask the questions Okay. You know, that could be interesting. Like that, yeah. That, well, that I would like fun. to have Allison back on soon. I really do enjoy the dynamic of the three of us talking. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, uh, maybe next, maybe next week we can get a, we'll see how it goes with maybe, maybe doing actually filming again. <laughs> that would be awesome. Yeah. If we uh-huh. end up getting to lift quarantine and, uh, see each other in person. That'd be awesome. I'd love that. <laughs> All right. This has been awesome. Love yeah, you guys definitely. out there. Stay love safe. Y'all. Definitely. We'll see y'all. Bye. Bye. That was a lively ass conversation. I know, man. I was like, 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 I was like